in my garage and I'm on the treadmill and I was like, I just got nominated for an Academy Award. Like, where did that come from? You know, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Julianne Moore's ability to transform within a role never ceases to amaze me. From Vanya on 42nd Street to Boogie Nights to Still Alice, for which she won Best Actress at the 2015 Oscars, she always brings something new to the screen. After studying acting at Boston University, Julianne moved to New York City, where she got involved in the theater space and landed roles on a few soap operas. In 1993, when her name was beginning to get mentioned in Hollywood, she met director Todd Haynes and indie film producer Christine Vachon during an audition for his psychological drama, Safe. This marked the beginning of a fruitful, creative dynamic between the three, with Julianne starring in Safe, Far From Heaven, I'm Not There, and Wonderstruck over the next 12 years. Today, we're here to talk about their fifth collaboration, May-December, in which Julianne stars opposite Natalie Portman, who is also a producer on the film. There is so much to dig into here, so without further ado, here is Julianne Moore. I feel like I've been living with this movie since Can. Finally, I'm able to speak with you about it. And any time that I wake up and I know I get to see you or talk to you, it is a good day. So happy to see you. This is really great for me to see you here on my screen. I know. I was like, let's, I have to see her. So May, December, just such a great film. One of the things I want to start with is seeing you and Todd together was kind of just magic for me. Netflix held a premiere at the Academy Museum Theater, which is just spectacular, and 900 seats. It was packed. The energy was so exciting. The red carpet, just to see everybody back out and celebrating the arts again was thrilling. But to see you two together was really special because that relationship is so unique. This is your fifth film together. And we know we've been we've been at this a long time. I know how hard it is to keep relationships, especially artistic ones, not have falling outs, not disappoint each other, even though it was unintentional. You know, you can't do his movie when he wants you to do it. You can't do that part when you really want to do it. Whatever it is, like this is a really, really challenging business. Um, and to keep a relationship that vibrant and that productive and prolific over the course of three decades is just incredible. I just want to know, what is it about your relationship that's been able to endure? Like, what is it that makes you guys click so much? I don't know. I mean, it's really interesting, except that I think we have a very, we have a shared sensibility. You know, when you go all the way back to SAFE, I remember reading that script and thinking, and I was like, I don't, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I've never seen anything so audacious um, and, and so simple and experimental, but really human and really relatable. And what I couldn't believe at the time that was that it wasn't cast. I'm like, this is, this is open. I can go read for this. You've got to be kidding. And I, and I really, I, I was determined to, 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 to get it. I mean, I was really wanted, I really, really wanted it. And, but I was also very um, sure about how I was going to play it. I only saw it. A certain way. I really saw her as someone who was almost disconnected from her own voice, 
um, as sort of a, a, like almost like a cipher, like barely present, which is a kind of a, you know, if, if you don't want, if you don't like that, uh, not a whole lot, like, you know, but anyway, I basically thought, okay, if he likes this and he casts me, that's great. If he doesn't cast me in this, then I'm not the person for him because this is the only way I can play this part. And I went in, I remember what I was wearing. I was wearing white jeans and a white t-shirt that I cut off and I was so nervous and we didn't really speak. And um, I read three scenes back to back and he didn't give me any directions. At the end, he said, okay, and I said, okay, and he said, thank you, I said, thank you, and I left. I had no idea what happened, and evidently, he turned to Christine Vachon and said, that's Carol White. And I was like, oh my God, you know, so that was what was weird. That was our first meeting. That was, you know, I was, I felt like I was able to discern exactly what he wanted from what he wrote. And I think that that quality, I, I think that's the thing that binds us together, that, that idea that I do, I can, I can sort of, I can hear what he wants, I can see what he wants, um, and hopefully I'm able to deliver it. But listen, you know, I'm not, I mean, he's the one who's, who's continued to call me. I've, as far as I'm concerned, it's not a fait accompli that he's gonna cast me in anything. Every time he calls with something, I'm absolutely thrilled. It's always a surprise. It's always such a great gift. And this, you know, in May, December was another one of those jobs that kind of came out of the blue. I mean, he really, it was just another one of those emails where he said, hey, um, hey Julie, you know, Natalie sent me this script and I wanted to slip it to you to see what you thought. And I, and I read it and I loved it. And I was like, are you gonna direct this? Cause I just wanted to make sure that he was gonna direct it. You know, and he was like, yep. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. But I just feel lucky that he keeps coming back. And I hope that I'm able to, um, continue to deliver for him, you know? Yeah, it's funny because I, I did, I have talked to Todd and I have talked to Christine and it, it, it's really interesting about uh, everything coalescing around that one script, right? And around that one project, Safe, because obviously Christine Vachon from that moment on produced all of his films. But I love that you had this confidence. You couldn't be more different than Todd. He's, you're at BU doing, you know, acting. He's at Brown, you know, studying semiotics. He's making these really avant-garde things. You're on a soap opera, right? <laughs> You know, doing 40 pages of dialogue a day, playing diabolical twin half-sister cousins. I can't even remember. But oh, by the way, I should say, uh, listener, she was did win an Emmy for it. But you couldn't have you couldn't have approached it from different angles. But yet it's just I love this creative Venn diagram where the three of you, frankly, all connected. And I feel like you've grown up together and come of age in this world. It's just incredible. And, and I have beyond such a like career crush on Christine Vacham. She's the most integrity and authenticity I've ever seen of anybody. It's exactly the same person that I remember seeing trumping up and down Sundance as she is now. And, you know, obviously you won your Oscar for Still Alice, a movie she produced. So I just love all the synergy here. What's interesting about this film that I think at first you think you're watching a, a single like portrait, right? We're following Natalie Portman's character and actress. Her name's Elizabeth. Like she's coming, you know, to you know, prepare for a role she's going to be playing in a movie. And then, oh, no, it's a double portrait now. It's between Gracie and Elizabeth. And then it becomes a third portrait of the three of you when Joe enters, which is Charles Melton. By the end, it really almost becomes Joe's story, right? That's how we end it with, like, what's going to happen to him? But first, obviously, 
I knew it as a Mary Kay Letourneau story, right? I, it, you know, I was at Vanity Fair. All of that stuff was was happening. You, you, you're like, oh my god, it was shocking. Did you look into that Mary Kay at all? Like, how did you come to find Gracie? Right, exactly. Well, I did. I mean, you know, I, I, you were saying, you know, this 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 script is inspired by the Letourneau case, but it's not direct. It's not directly that. So, I, but I did look at it, you know, for for information and and for. Um, inspiration actually and it was in the whole this thing takes place 20 years later you know this they, they had the affair 20 years ago she you know this character Gracie went to jail had had a child with Joe while he was still underage and while she was still in prison and then you know had and then had twins after that, you know, subsequent to that, you know, shortly after it, I think still while she's incarcerated. But this is after she's gotten out of jail, they've gotten married, they've raised these children. So so I'm looking back at what narrative this woman has sustained, right? And and kind of who she is in, in the world. And I and I was thinking about, okay, who is a person? Um, you know, in the script, she seemed very commanding. You know, she's very much like, you do this, you do that. You're, you know, I'm and, and in control of everything. And it wasn't jibing with, with who I thought Gracie was. And I, I started thinking about that. And I was like, she talks a lot about this great love story that they had, how they fell in love. And he was really, he was really her prince. He really rescued her. She was the princess. So I was like, aha, uh -huh, okay, so she's not the queen, right? She's not a queen, she's a princess. She's remained a princess. And in order to have this great romance with a 13 year old boy, she has to elevate him to manhood just to make it work culturally. So what were your expectations? Uh, that tonight would go well, that my children would love me and my life would be perfect. I was a little naive. I am naive. I always have been. In a way, it's been a gift. So it's like, you know, he was the more advanced. She said he was the more responsible. She was always very fragile. She was always very protected. And that kind of continues. So that's, that's her narrative, that he's the man of the house and she's just a child. So then I went, oh, yeah. So she is... She is not just, she's, she's not a grown-up. She's a little girl. She's a little girl with an apron on and a wooden spoon in her hand saying, I can tell you what to do. I'm the mom. And I thought, wow, how, you know, this, the stress of, of and the energy it takes to maintain that narrative and to send it out into the world day after day after day when the reality of what happened 20 years ago is, is something quite different, that she was not a little girl, she was a grown woman. Right. And that's where the tension is and that emotional volatility between between that story and and the reality. And the wonderful thing about Sammy Birch's script, too, is that she allows that you see the very public Gracie, the very oh, once again, she's also very she's hyper feminine. You know, this in this princess narrative, you know, the princess is is princessy. She's she's feminine, you know. Um, Gracie is someone who's kind of swallowed feminine culture whole. She believes in it. She's been inculcated in it and keeps communicating that to everybody, you know, to her daughters about how to behave, the thing about how to dress. And, you know, you try going through life without a scale. See how that goes. All of that stuff, you know, that is, that's, that's her, her world. Um, so, yeah. And so like I said, Sammy allowed for these, these um, kind of, um, public moments of of um, of assurity and femininity and and kind of a 
and ease, you know, and, you know, I'm kind of, like I said, I have these sort of very feminine gestures and stuff and these private moments of like emotional devastation and volatility. So yeah, it was a great part. <laughs> it's a great part and you are fantastic in it. Not surprising. That slight lisp that you created for Gracie was really impactful. The choice for that was twofold too, because it's like, you know, because Natalie comes in and she has to start assuming my mannerisms and, and kind of physically become me. I needed as an actor to offer her some mannerisms to copy, you know, so Todd and I talked about that. So it's like, that's something that, that technically as an actor is important to do and to think about. And it's fun to think about, because you know, a film is a collective, you're all kind of adding different parts to it. So another way for her to kind of this performative femininity, right, and childishness, you know, just in terms of the way she dresses and her, and her gestures. But then I also thought, well, what if I added a vocal, a, you know, a vocal choice to it? And traditionally, we think of lisps as being something that are they're childlike. You know, often kids do have them and then they grow out of them. But in this case, this is something that stayed, you know, that stayed with her, and it does it lends her a childish air. And it's also something concrete for Natalie to do, you know? So it was, when I was looking at it and thinking about it, working on the script, I called Todd up and I was like, this is something I'm thinking of doing. How do you feel about that? You know, and he was like, okay. I mean, and we both had some trepidation about it because it's, you know, you don't want it to be too big or whatever. We were, I mean, we were really specific with the lisp too. Actually, Natalie made a really funny joke. She goes, imagine having a lisp and naming one of your children, Cassidy. <laughs> the dynamic and the push-pull between you and Natalie is, is so incredible. And then I, I was just shocked when I heard that you shot in 23 days. I mean, I think like that is, you know, for anybody that uh, anybody listening that doesn't really understand, like that is a really short amount of time to to shoot a feature length uh, film. There is no fat on the bone. I mean, you are boom, 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 take, take. You know, like I can't imagine you guys really did more than a few takes at every turn, and just to get the same mirroring each other. And literally, I, you know, I'm going to ask about the makeup scene because that scene is just one that will be played over and over again. I think for for actors. And it's just such a standout between the what's going to happen. And you're almost like, oh, my God, is it Todd Haynes? Are they going to kiss? Like, he's so, he gets you there. He pulls you out. You just don't even know what's going to happen. You're so uncomfortable. Can you talk to me about that? Sure. Oh, my God, I love doing that scene. First of all, I love Natalie. I could not ask for a better partner. I really adore her. She's someone whose work I've always admired. I wrote her an email after Black Swan just to say I thought she was tremendous in it. And then we knew each other a little bit socially, you know, just from around, um, you know, and and um, so I was excited. I was so excited to work with someone that I admired, but I had no idea what she was going to be like. And it turns out she is terrific. I mean, she is just very, very easy to be with. Our, our processes are very similar. We're really serious about the work, but not serious about ourselves. I think we bonded quickly and we worked together very well, you know? So so by the time we got to the, I mean, I only worked 15 days on this, if you can imagine, out of 23. We were doing the, the mirror scene. We'd already established a really great rapport. Um, and I think, it'll, I, think, I think the fact that we were so kind of uh, interested in each other and having so much fun just made it, 
made us made us so comfortable and made us really able to do things that were that were kind of pushed boundaries and stuff too. I remember there was an issue with Natalie's wig. They wanted to get like, you know, her wig out of her face and they couldn't tie it back into a ponytail. And I said, I'll just do this. And I reached up and I brush her hair back from her face and off her shoulders. And it's a very seductive gesture. You know, it's really intimate. Um, and then, you know, it, it's funny that thing about almost kissing and everything too, because you realize they are, they are seducing each other, but they're not seducing each other for any sexual purpose. But it's like when you are in a power struggle, seduction is also one of the tools, you know, that you use to win. And, you know, Gracie is very, very anxious that her story be told the way she wants it told. So did you always want to be an actress? Always. I wanted to be on Broadway. And when I told my parents I was nine or ten, they were so disappointed. They said, honey, you're so much smarter than that. What did you say? Are you smarter than that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But even technically, the funny thing was, like, putting on the makeup, you know, there's not really a mirror there. There's a lens there. Our makeup artists were very concerned about the colors matching and also about hygiene. So it was like there was the makeup that I was using on my face, and then I needed to switch to off-camera. Natalie's makeup, it was the same color, so I could use that on her face, so we didn't get any germs mixed up. And then I had to, in real time, take that lipstick and put it on her lips and make sure it was saturated enough so that when we turned into the camera, our, our lipstick would match. So that to me was all I was thinking about. I'm like, first of all, I'm like, I wanna get it completely right. I wanna make the shape really pretty and I wanna get the saturation exact. And so if you notice, like, I'm just, I almost look at Natalie's mouth the entire time because I'm just, I'm so concerned about that. <laughs> I didn't know that that's what it was. I just, it, it felt like you were just devouring her, right? And it was like a power play. Like suddenly it was so feminine, but suddenly, you know, Natalie was a submissive and you were dominating, whereas in your life, it was a really, really fascinating dynamic and it pays off. You never get to see two women in a movie unless they're related. They're usually in a familial relationship or they're going to fall in love you know, their lovers. And so to see these two equally dynamic, really, really interesting, morally complicated characters on screen together that both happen to be female, um, that's, I, it was very unusual, really unusual. All right, let's talk about Charles Melton. It's so exciting when you see a new young actor and you're like, wow, this this kid's really talented. This is going to be a moment for them. It's kind of, I, I love that feeling personally. When I saw you in uh, Hand the Rocks a Cradle and I was like, oh my God, this actress is phenomenal. <laughs> and he has said, like he said that night, you know, after the premiere that it was just like the most, like the, that was his dream job. Are you kidding? Like he's on set with Todd Haynes, with <laughs> doing scenes with Natalie Portman and Julianne more and it's like it just was mind-blowing it's like how does it get any better than this for him is what he, you know I love that I that humility of like yeah I don't know how I'm going to approve upon this but how was that working with him and with someone that you know obviously is is a new relatively new at this he was so it was so exciting to find him honestly because you know Todd Todd sent me you know all these wonderful actors put themselves on tape for this part and he was looking at them and then he sent um, some of his choices to me to, to look through. And honestly, Charles jumped out to me 
right then and there on the on the recordings that he had done. And then Todd asked me to come in to do a chemistry read with several of the actors. And when Charles walked in, I was like, oh my God, he's perfect, absolutely perfect. And we started reading and he had a simplicity, you know, to to, to his work and to his, his self and then kind of a, and a mis but also a mystery and an opacity. Like he wasn't really, you know, there's something sort of placid about him, sort of stolid. Like he was gonna be, he was so receptive to everything I was doing, like so present for me as a character of Gracie. I was like, wow, this is really something. It was absolutely perfect. And so I was so, I mean, I was absolutely, I was so thrilled that we found him and he was able to do this because he just, not I, not only is he a wonderful actor with a great career in front of him, but he's he's a terrific human being. He's so lovely, so kind, so much a team player, you know, really, we just, I, I loved working with him. And I think that it was it was daunting to come in to, and work with all these people who are so well-established and he more than held his own, he really did. That you guys have all the shorthand and and all of it. It's some of the lines I I can't I, there. I feel like they're going to become. I don't want to cheapen it by saying memes, but some of the lines of you know insecure people are scary. Uh, I'm not insecure. I was just that scene alone is incredible. Like you just get the complexity of these two women so much. I wonder if any of this will have really mattered for your movie. I think it will. You understand me? I do. I hope you didn't think that disgusting brother thing was real. What? Disgusting. I don't know what he's doing telling you these things. He told you? I talk to Georgie every day. Insecure people are very dangerous, aren't they? I'm secure. Make sure you put that in there. And I can't believe actually that to hear that that was like 15 days, you guys were just flying through this film. How has the ride been from just opening at Cannes and now being in the Netflix uh, world of this and premiering and now finally being able to talk about it? It's been amazing. First of all, our Cannes debut was just was so exciting. You know, we also just finished the film last fall. So I didn't I couldn't even imagine that Todd would have everything done in post in time for Cannes. I was what, what he managed to do that. I don't know how how he did that so quickly. So I was surprised that we were even in Cannes. And it was a, it was so, it was so celebratory, so wonderful. It was just such a we were so happy about it. And I was really looking forward to doing all the press. And then, of course, we had the strike. And I thought, oh no, <laughs> you know, so we couldn't talk about it. We couldn't do any, any interviews for it. We could, and, then, and I really was not, I had no idea what was gonna happen. And of course we were lucky enough that the strike ended just in time, you know, right before this movie is, is, is coming out theatrically and then, and then on Netflix. And so I'm just, I, I've loved it. And we've loved being here. We're all out here in LA right now. We've done, you know, one, one interview after another, and we've done lots of screenings. And it's so delightful to be with this. We, I mean, all the people involved are so fantastic. And to be in this group and to be able to celebrate it and talk about it and promote it, it's it's just, it's a, it's a dream. It's really been phenomenal. Mm. What are you surprised about? Like, what are you surprised about people's reactions? 
You know, I have to say, I'm really thrilled that people are enjoying it the way they are. I mean, I think they feel sort of delighted by it and surprised. And, and this is a movie that demands a tremendous amount of participation from the audience. It doesn't hand it to you. You know, you're left, you're, you're left having to go home and discuss it. Like, what do you think happened? What do you think, you know, what was Elizabeth doing? And was Gracie really telling the truth? What happened to Gracie's past? And is Joe going to get out of the marriage? And, you know, all of these questions. So I think it's, I think it's exciting for audiences to see a film like that and to be challenged and to, to have to, it's, I think it's invigorating. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, it's definitely, and the music is so inventive too. The little tiny island that you guys are on and, you know, outside of Savannah, that's that's like a fourth character. And then the fifth character for me is the soundtrack. And you can't have any of it unless all of you are playing together at the same time. And it uh, was just incredible. All right, I wanna take you back through a couple of moments in your career because I just so respect that you have the same amount of joie de vivre for acting and for your craft and your, you know, career as a whole as you did when you were, you know, on a soap opera. It's extraordinary. And you've had this amazing balance of big, giant, juggernaut commercial hits of, you know, Jurassic Parks and Hannibal, you know, these big, big commercial movies and then these tiny, tiny little independent movies. For you, do you look back on these certain points of like, okay, this is when things really changed? It was very interesting because I worked all through my 20s. I worked really steadily once I got out of college. I was, you know, I was on a soap opera. I did a lot of off-Broadway. I did regional theater. I had a couple of um, pilots and deals with different, um, you know, studios for, for sitcoms. Um, but I was not, not booking any films. It was nothing. I was like, I couldn't do that. And it was really hard for me to get like a Broadway job too. I would get off off Broadway. And I, and I really felt, I felt like I spent 10 years kind of just working hard. And I was like, well, this is where I'm going to be. You know, this is where I'm probably not going to crack the film world. That's not going to happen for me. And then suddenly it was, um, it was the 90s, you know, and we were, people were making independent films and the production, the, the workshop production of Uncle Vanya that I'd been working on for five years, they decided to film. Louis Maul decided to film for under a million dollars. Um, Robert Altman cast me in Shortcuts and Todd Haynes cast me in Safe. So, and there were other things that were happening, but what really what happened too is that they all came out at the same time. So I went from being somebody who, you know, did off-Broadway and regional and television to suddenly like having a film career. And I literally was like, but who, me? You know, like, you're kidding. Uh, it just, it seemed to, I, I just didn't, I didn't register it. it. It happened so quickly. So, so oddly it was like, wasn't quick because it was 10 years, but then it was just the, in the space of like a couple of years, I had these three movies. And so, Suddenly, you know, there I was being offered actual films, and that was that was a, a huge, huge shift in my career. And then after that, I mean, like I said, it was the '90s. So there were a lot of really interesting things happening, um, and I did some commercial films. I did like, you know, I I did uh, Nine Months, which was a big romantic comedy. Um, I did The Fugitive and Steven Spielberg saw me in that and then um, cast me in Lost World. And then I met Paul Thomas Anderson at a party and he was like, I wrote something for you. That, you know, I have you in mind for this one part. And it was Boogie Nights. And then Boogie Nights kind of came out and talk about a juggernaut. And 
And I can remember being at the Ziegfeld Theater for the premiere and people were going bananas, absolutely bananas. And I loved that movie. I could see that, I could see it on the page. You know, I could see what he had done um, when I read that script, but I had no idea that I would get, I, that was the first time I got an Academy Award nomination. And I remember thinking too, I was like, I also just had a baby. I had a baby in the middle of that. <laughs> And so I was like, I had a treadmill in my garage and I'm on the treadmill and I was like, I just got nominated for an Academy Award. Like, where did that come from? You know, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, so, so let me see what else. What else should I tell you? Oh my God. It's just, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, and then you go back and I mean, I think of your next Todd Haynes, you know, movie. Yeah, Far From Heaven, and it's like Dennis Quaid, and you're addressing a whole other thing. It's a, That was another nomination, correct? And that was a film that Todd um, wrote for me. I mean, that was, that was another crazy phone call. I remember it, it was just, this is before, I don't think I even had an email. I mean, it's like, I think he just called me up and he goes, he was like, Julie, I wrote a movie for you. And I was like, you wrote a movie for me? What? And I read it on the subway um, going uptown. Like I, I just sped through it. I couldn't, I, I, I actually couldn't believe it. But yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was an, another extraordinary experience. And, and I was pregnant on that one too. That was, that was the other thing. I was sort of, by the time we, it was a really crazy time because 9-11 happened in New York and I was pregnant and we were starting this movie and the world was very precarious and, you know, I was, I was all this kind of stuff was happening. Um, it was a crazy time to do a movie and I don't think Todd really was hoping to have a pregnant actress in that role, but it all worked out. 50s, you had those big skirts, right? It, it, it kind of, you could hide it. I hid it like that, yeah. All right, so you also, you mentioned New York. You managed to raise two incredible children in New York City, which is just a feat in and of itself. Now you're an empty nester, pretty pretty solidly, right? Like Our daughter is a senior in college, so she'll graduate this year. So she may be coming back to live with us in New York for a little bit, but I think she wants to get her own place eventually. But that's another shock to be at this different stage in your life where you're like, oh, wow, okay, these kids are young adults now, you know, which is, it's, it's, that's exciting too. I mean, it's, um, it's hard, it's really hard when they leave and they sort of transition into their own lives, but it also brings you, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's just another wonderful stage. Yeah, I remember you said to me uh, once when I couldn't believe like Cal was going to college. I was just like, wait, how did that happen? And and you're like, you know, it's really slow. And then that once they go into high school, it's over in a snap. And I'm in the middle of it's over in a snap because I have a senior applying to college and a 10th grader. So I, it's just over. You're just like, wow, how did that happen? So I feel you on that. Did it give you like this, there's like these few little years? And you're like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. What happened? So having it been your fifth film, with Todd, what are you guys still learning from each other? Do you feel like that you still learn from each other? I do. I really do. I think that I'm always astonished by his intellect. You know, I really am. He's he really has thought about absolutely everything, every little detail, and none of it. You know, he does. He dismisses nothing. Everything's important. You know, the the light is important. The wigs are important. The schedule is important. Um, the location that, you know, everything, he's thinking about everything and he has the capacity, he has this astonishing capacity to kind of metabolize it all, you know, to make it feel like it's all 
happening and and that you're a part of it you know he's not one of those directors who looks right through you like he's there looking at you talking to you and laughing that's the other thing too he's there's so much joy on one of his sets he really I've had to tell him on some movies just like not to laugh and ruin the take because he would do it all the way back to safe he would like you know you hear him giggling and you knew that's because he was pleased but I'd be like no don't ruin the take but it's, yeah, so I think his joyousness and his, his capacity to tell these really complicated stories and the empathy, the compassion he has for all of these people, you know, there are no, everything is absolutely sincere in, in his movies too, you know, there's no, there's no lack of humanity in them. And I think that that's, that's, that's one of the things that really makes me love him so much, that in, incredible mind of his, his incredible intellect and his enormous humanity. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful combination. So I'm always thinking, okay, yeah, you know, he's a, he's a guiding light for me. He's somebody I always look to and learn from. And is there anything now that you're looking to do that you haven't done? Is there anything left on your kind of uh, bucket list to experience as an artist? Somebody asked me a question about what kind of character I wanted to play the other day. And it just struck me that I've never played like a creature. You know, I've never played um, um, something that looked not human, something utterly not like myself physically. So I, I have this idea that I want to play something like that, but with their own, you know, um, but not like a not like a monster movie or not something like an empty villain or, you know, but like a really complex and interesting and feeling and emoting kind of kind of creature. <laughs> All right. Calling Guillermo del Toro right now. Hold on. I'm going to text him. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> right. He's, he's got that down. Um, all right. I'm asking everybody this season um, on the podcast, if it's your day off, what am I finding you doing? Like, what's your hobby when you're not, you know, reading, prepping, preparing, thinking about your work? Okay. Well, I love yoga. I've had the same yoga teachers for um, really about 20 years. And I would probably do that. I'd probably get up in the morning and I'd have some coffee and I'd... Um, you know, mess around and I would do some yoga. And then if I could go, I would, you know, meet a friend, I'd, I'd walk around New York. Um, I'd make sure that I, I, if I could have dinner with my kids, if they were in town, definitely with my husband. I love ceramics. I recently discovered that. So that's something I do a lot, you know, like in the summertime. I also, I'm, I'm like a rabid fan of audiobooks. So that's the other thing too about like being in New York City. I just can like put my you know um, AirPods in and get on the subway and go anywhere. And when I get there, I've already listened to you know. I just I like it's, it's this wonderful experience of being immersed in a book while walking around New York City. I like to do that. Um, you know, we go out to dinner pretty frequently in New York. Um, yeah, and just like see friends. And so it's it's and yeah, it's pretty boring. So yoga, ceramics, audiobooks. <laughs> That's my top three. So I'm just picturing you on a subway in New York, and and like, what do people say to you when they recognize you? I mean, is it is it from like a you know the Tom Ford era? Is it what like what what comes out when 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 people know they're sitting next to Julianne Moore on the A train? It's always different. It's always different. 
Um, and I'm usually on the six, Kristen. Sorry, the six train. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, it's not the A train. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm like, I don't know. It's different. You can always, sometimes you can tell. You can tell a big Lebowski fan as they approach you. You can tell uh, a Todd Haynes, you know, um, person. Then every once in a while, somebody is just like, I loved you in Lost World, which I'm like, Okay, you know, it's all over the place, absolutely all over the place. But the people in New York City are very cool. And if you're on the subway next to somebody, believe me, sometimes you're in the subway and they're like very close to you, like, you know, touching your body, they might just give you like a little nod, just a little kind of like, hey, or like, I see you, or, you know, or I love your movies or something, somebody will whisper. Yeah. It's pretty great. New Yorkers are, are awesome. They really are. Oh, so good. I was just, I'm, I'm reminded of that scene in, uh, when you just whispered, like, I love your movies, uh, that scene in a single man when you're at the makeup table and one half of the face is on with the eyelashes and oh, another fucking great performance. So many, too many to count. But this one is one for the books as well. May, December. Julianne, it's so great to see you. See you soon. Very soon, I hope. May, December is streaming now on Netflix. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Riccio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 